Put your hands together for him tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you sing this song with me? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. KFC, I believe it is. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice for he has made me glad, oh he has made me glad, yes he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad, he has made me glad, oh he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad. And I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh yes, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, oh he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord, I've been redeemed by love divine, oh glory, glory, Christ is mine, oh to Him I have resigned, oh I have been, I've been redeemed by love divine, oh glory, Christ is mine, all to Him I now reside, I have been, I Amen, hallelujah, sorry I think we had it in a little bit of a high key there for you, amen, hallelujah, you love Him, amen, let's sing another uh, 
song slips my mind. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. That's it. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, and blessed be the rock of my salvation. Well, glory, glory to his name, he lives and reigns forevermore. His name, He lives and reigns forevermore. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, oh blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provideth all my needs. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provideth all my needs. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Amen. Can we bring it up to the key of G? If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, amen. We want to keep on the firing line. Let's sing it together. Well, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no Coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. Well, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Oh, never run or even lag behind. And if you win, God in the righteous, keep on the firing line. Listen now. God will only use a soldier he can trust. 
God bless you, saints. Certainly good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, uh, to be assembled with God's people. And no matter where you are in the home, um, some of you I know are driving. We welcome all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's certainly a, a, a blessing to be able to get together on this off Wednesday night. Uh, we just want to jump right in and go to prayer. I had uh, some feedback from some of you saying you enjoyed the song service tonight, and I'm glad. Just trust it was a blessing for you, and it should be. 
so that it can prepare our hearts for the going forth of the word. And uh, I want to bring you just a couple of prayer requests uh, tonight and uh, things you can uh, pray about and uh, rejoice with me over. One of the uh, things that I wanted to mention was uh, Brother uh, Richard Smith, who had a little uh, complication, went into the emergency room, but uh, is home doing fine. So we are thankful for that. Also, Sister Shirley Lingle's mother, uh, they're still looking for a place for her to go as a transition so that she can receive some sort of skilled nursing care. And uh, she asked us to continue to remember that need in prayer. Uh, she's having to go back and forth with her sister-in-law, back and forth to Winston so that uh, she can visit with her mom. And they have very limited visiting uh, opportunities now, and that may even be cut down. But uh, we certainly want to remember that in prayer. Uh, I also spoke today with Brother Tim Hayton, and he is in um, hospital. He's got a double barrel of the COVID virus and also pneumonia. Uh, he told me, he said, this thing is wicked, and he said it's dangerous. Those were his words. And uh, he said uh, he's just going to be in hospital for a little while until they get things under control. But uh, I told him that we would certainly be praying for him. And uh, I asked him if there was anything else that we could do for him. And he said, no, he said, just keeping up the prayers would be the main thing. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Rose Wright came home today from the hospital, and we're thankful for that. And uh, also as well, I had a report from Brother Ron Spencer, and I wanted to share it with you. I uh, was communicating with him today. Uh, he was at the cancer center where he goes, and this is where they regulate the chemotherapy for him. And he was put in the hospital there because they were doing extensive testing on his liver and gallbladder, uh, pancreas, and so forth. They were afraid that the cancer had spread there. Uh, these are his words, all right? I'm reading from the text that he sent to me. He said, uh, we've had another miracle. Uh, he said, no cancer in the liver or pancreas. And uh, he said, found some stuff that had happened years ago, but he said uh, the the liver levels, they can't explain. He said they have gone down, and there is no rhyme or reason for this. This is the God we serve. And so uh, I told Brother Ron I'd share that report, and uh, we're rejoicing with him that the Lord will continue to undertake for him and give him strength and put him back on his feet again and back in service. And uh we're thankful for that. So whatever need you have tonight, whatever your concern is, we do have several unspoken requests. Uh, there are things that people are going through, uh, some with health issues, some with work issues, uh, and, and pressures that they're under uh, at their jobs. And there's several folks who are in that situation. But we know that God is uh, capable and God is able to minister to everybody, no matter what your need is. And so let's join our hearts together in prayer. And then you take your need tonight and just uh, tuck it in uh, at the feet of the Savior tonight on his throne of grace and mercy. And uh, we'll just approach him tonight. Heavenly Father, with faith and confidence and great joy in our hearts, we come before you and ask, Lord, that you would just bless these uh, folks, Lord, that need your touch tonight. We're always thankful to hear the good reports, Lord, when somebody's released from the hospital and from somebody, Lord, who comes through testing with good results. We are always blessed by hearing that, Lord, because we know that uh, sometimes, Lord, these things are natural occurrences. But, Lord, when we're praying, we're going to give you the glory and the honor and the praise for all it's accomplished because we believe you're still a healer today, the same as you ever were. And you are a sovereign God who works in the lives of your people. 
And so, Father, we present all of these needs tonight. And Lord, there are so many that are on my heart that uh, that concern people, Lord, who are bearing burdens and going through difficulties in their jobs and their health and their marriages, Lord. And uh, I just ask that you would just minister strength and peace and grace. And Lord, you would just be mindful of the ones that are calling upon you. Lord, we need you now more than ever before. We stand against this virus that has cursed the earth and brought darkness over it. Lord, I just ask and pray that you would uh, be mindful, Lord, of your people all over the world and those who are sick, those who are struggling, Lord, with uh, different diseases and circumstances, and uh, friends we have, believers, Lord, in light, of like precious faith who are gathered in other countries. And Lord, the, the assembly tonight, Lord, wherever they're gathered in their homes, Lord, I pray that you would just be mindful of them. And Lord, you're a protector, you're a comforter, and you're a provider, and we want to continue to believe for all these things, Lord. And we ask these things, asking your blessing upon the service tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I wanted to just make a, a comment as well, too, a couple of comments here that um, we're back on our phones again saying amen. Uh, so if you want to join in, uh, that really, uh, you may, you may think that's kind of trivial, but that really is helpful and it's, uh, encouraging to me to hear your amens. I, I also would like to, uh, have your feedback as well on this Wednesday night service that's in our gap. So the second and fourth Wednesday night, uh, just for now, we're doing this online and I'm, I'm just, I would love to have your feedback. Is that a blessing for you, uh, to be able to have that? And I'd love to know your feedback there, uh, which would be really helpful for me. And we're always trying to plan and minister. Uh, obviously, as you know, uh, in North Carolina now, they're passing a little more stricter rules and uh, governing face masks and so forth. Uh, we're not uh, entirely sure yet whether that's going to apply to churches. But um, we we know that the virus uh, is... is um, resurging again, a little surging a little again in the state. And uh, so it seems like having um, every other Wednesday night service like this is, uh, even though it's not the best, it does afford us an opportunity to be able to get together and to be able to worship together and study the scriptures together, which is what we want to do tonight. And uh, so it, it's, it seems like we're walking a very narrow path. We have churches around us that are closed and uh, more people in the state of North Carolina. What I'm praying for is that we don't have to have uh, mass in church, number one. I'm also praying that there is no travel restrictions between the state of Virginia and the state of North Carolina. And uh, I'm praying that that does not happen. So uh, we just want to encourage you to continue to pray. And uh, we've been blessed so far and uh, in our assembly and been able to continue to have church. And so if there is any change at all, I will certainly let you know before Sunday, but we're just trusting and praying that we'll be able to keep our doors open and be able to have service and gather together so that we can enjoy one another's company. The other thing I wanted to say was this, uh, and, and that is just a little caution here. Uh, it's been my practice whenever things pop up in the world, like, uh, you know, the different causes and movements that are taking place now in the world, especially in the United States here about, you know, the racial issues and so forth. Uh, I, as a Christian and as a believer, I find it uh, probably the safest 
approach or the safest response to those things is to draw back from it and draw back from any involvement in it. And uh, I've had several conversations with believers about this. And uh, I take my example from a prophet who lived in the 20th century. And if anybody had a reason or an opportunity uh, to jump in on a march or something like that, it would have been Brother Branham in the days of Martin Luther King. Uh, even though he made comments about it, uh, Brother Branham restricted his involvement to just comments in the pulpit, and he did not physically get involved in those particular movements. And uh, I think that's a good approach for us as well, because uh, the movements and the causes will never end. We'll have them until we leave here. And uh, you can easily get uh, overly involved in things like that, and it can even affect your testimony. And so for me, even though I know what's going on and I know it's there uh, and I might have an opinion about what's going on there, as far as me getting out and physically getting involved or putting a blog online or something like that in relation to those things, I'm not going to do that because I believe that's not our, uh, that's not our ministry. That is not our uh, place in the world and everybody's called to do different things. And that's just my opinion. I'm just sharing my thoughts on that matter. Uh, people are certainly free to do what they want to do. But for me, uh, I, I take the example of a prophet pretty seriously so that, uh, I'm, I'm guarded about what types of, uh, you know, involvement I have in you know, say movements or causes that exist in the world. Um, there's, there's going to be a lot more and I just, I just prefer, uh, to fulfill the role that God's called for me and to be able to, um, hold a balance in things, especially when it comes to social issues. So I just thought I'd throw that in uh, for you because we are bombarded by all kinds of news and changes in our society and um, all kinds of imbalances, I think, that are out there. So uh, just wanted to, to throw that in. All right, let's look in the Word tonight. And I wanted to just uh, underscore something that we started the other night. And we'll title this The Believer's Heritage again, and this is the second part. In Galatians chapter 3, this is the scripture that we read before, and I know it's familiar to us. The Bible says that now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, in other words, to the whole world, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And so this was God speaking to Father Abraham and his seed. And they were all one family, and God spoke directly to Abraham and his seed. It was not a promise made universally to everybody in the world, but it was a promise made to Abraham and his seed. And from Abraham, we know, would eventually come David, and from there would come Christ. We ask God's blessing on the reading of the Word uh, tonight. So let's just jump in, and uh, I'm just going to do a very just a couple of slides. are going to be uh, review slides here, but let's just take a look uh, this evening here. I told you uh, the other uh, Sunday morning that there are some things in life that are very certain, uh, things like healing, forgiveness, uh, a place beyond this life, like heaven and hell. God's power is a sure thing, and there are some things that are without question. For instance, uh, we use this quote in 1963 when Brother Branham talked about Job, and he said that uh, the devil had turned loose on Job, took his family, children, camels, wealth, broke his health down, looked like everything was gone. But Job had something certain that he hung on to. It was like his anchor in life. He said, I know my Redeemer liveth. And nothing uncertain about that was there. Oh my, he said he was very certain. 
And uh, it was a, a revelation to Job that he knew God had impressed upon his soul that there would be a resurrection. And even if he lost his life, uh, he would eventually stand on the earth again and meet his Redeemer. And uh, he was, as far as we know, the very first one to have that revelation. And he hung on to it. He was absolutely very certain. And uh, we know that that revelation ripples all the way down uh, to our time now. We know it's absolutely a certain thing that there is a life after this life and there is a resurrection, and uh, we're so thankful for that. Let's talk about some other things that are very certain, though. Uh, we know that there is going to be a change of our body. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we find First Thessalonians chapter 4. There's many places that uh, indicate that there is a rapture. We believe we're in the season of it now, and there will come a time when our bodies are changed just like Enoch's body was changed one day. We also know, too, that Jesus said about the time we're living in that there would be a repeat of the days of Sodom and all of its uh, characteristics, and there would be a repeat of the days of Noah and all of its characteristics. Both of those events were were social uh, expressions, if you like, that happened prior to judgment. So there was a judgment cycle already in motion in the earth, and this is the outlook uh, if you were a believer looking out from the ark, we'll say. Uh, if you were looking out the window of, of uh, uh, Lot's house in Sodom, there, there'd be a certain scene, there'd be a certain perspective you would get just by looking out, those, looking out at the crowd, looking out at the world at that time. And Jesus said that was going to repeat. We don't need to look very far than out our window today to see that those days certainly have repeated. We also know, too, that it's a very certain thing that there is going to be a tribulation time, such as the world has never seen. It'll be three and a half years long. We're sure of that. We also know that prior to that time, there will be a, a season called a squeeze, and I believe we're in it. Uh, I believe it's a gradual, uh, eventual thing, that um, eventual in the sense that uh, it, it was eventual, eventually going to come and express itself, and I believe we're living in that time now, and uh, it is a time where I believe that it forces a believer to look up. It is a slow, gradual increase of pressure, which is what a squeeze is, uh, and it makes a difference in terms of uh, how we prepare ourselves, and in the sense it's, it's like an indicator, it's a red flag that goes off and lets us know that uh, the times ahead are very, very, very significant and very important. Now, here's something as well that is uh, an inevitability or something certain that is to happen in the end time. Now, there's lots of these. There's many of these kinds of uh, statements that we could bring tonight. But I wanted to dwell on this one here uh, just for a little bit. And I trust everybody is uh, listening out there. In the message called The Third Exodus in 1963, Brother Brandon makes this statement. He says, now, the next thing that they do, and he's talking about the Roman Catholic system here, the Antichrist system, he said they take their money and pay off the debt of the United States. Borrow it from the church, then you're sold out. Now today, paying our foreign debts over there with tax money that won't be paid in until 40 years has passed, we have no more money, but the church has it. Now that's a third exodus. Uh, Brother Branham, uh, he makes uh, several serious comments like this. Uh, Jezebel religion is another one uh, where he talks about it, the second seal, the fourth seal, uh, different, many different places. Brother Bram is very specific and very categorical in talking about how that finances would definitely play a part in uh, fulfilling scripture in the last day and creating an atmosphere 
of catastrophe and uh, financial collapse and desperation in our time. Uh, we know that according to Psalm 27, that the backdrop of the rapture is a time of trouble. And one of the things that makes for global trouble is a breakdown in economies. And uh, this is something that is very important and very crucial or very central uh, to the whole end time scenario. And uh, there are lots of different places here we could uh, where we could stop and talk about this. But uh, you, you, you can see now that uh, governments become very, very focused on re-election. They can become very focused on continuing their terms in office. One of the things that makes a difference, whether they're successful or not, in relation to continuing their terms, is the sense of consumer confidence or the feeling that people have uh, that they are economically better off than what they were. I'm better off with this economy than the economy of the opposition. And uh, even dictators, they like to make sure that, uh, you know, people have a share of the wealth in order to make everybody feel good about a dictator, which is a, a certainly a paradox or an oxymoron. So money has a big uh, role to play in the last day. And uh, it's a very natural thing for us to think about how that, uh, you know, Satan will make you think all kinds of things when it comes to your finances. And uh, it's one of the things that instantly will bring a sense of fear or foreboding in our lives. It'll, uh, it'll make us nervous about the future. And uh, Satan is, is certainly quick to do that. I, I want to just remind you of a couple of things, though, here as we look at this. Brother Branham says in uh, 1963, and this is in the SEALs book, he's talking about the, the wall in India, that story where all the animals and the birds co congregate in the cracks in a wall in order to build nests. And they still do. And they do that to get out of this hot sunshine, and they 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 congregate in the in the big old walls that uh, are there in that country. I've seen them many times. He said, "Now let me say you something, brethren, because when the earthquake came, uh, the the birds did not get injured in that earthquake because they were warned by this uh, instinct that they had to fly away from the wall and go sit in the tree. And when all the birds had evacuated the wall." then there was an earthquake came and it severely damaged the wall. So there was a power at work, an instinctual power at work that influenced those birds strong enough to just move away from the wall. They may not have known everything that was coming. They may not have understood what they were doing, but they moved away from the wall and they were safe. Now, Brother Branham says, let me say something here, brethren. There's something fixing to happen, and all these big ecclesiastical walls are going to collapse and go right back over yonder and agree because they're going to do it as certain as I'm standing here. That's a certain thing, a positive thing Brother Branham is saying. There's an image to that beast just as certain as I'm standing here, and this nation took it according to the word of the Lord. And I added in the scripture of Revelation chapter 13 there. So Brother Branham is telling us that there are uh, there are havens like ecclesiastical systems and denominational systems that are there uh, that are going to collapse. It would be really nice if we knew exactly when they're going to collapse, but we don't know. And so you have to depend on the Holy Spirit's uh, urging to move away from the thing of danger in the right time, in the right season, and not be caught in the collapse. Okay, that's that's the message. That's the thing he's cautioning us to do. And it's very important for us to recognize that if if God actually is watching over us, 
uh, he's going to indicate to you when it is time for you to pull away from the wrong thing and just be, uh, just be perched on the right thing and ready to go when this thing actually winds up because he does not want you to be caught in the fall. Daniel saw this in chapter 7 when Daniel is going through his visions here. And he said, I was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. And this is Daniel watching end time events. He doesn't have the interpretation fully, but he has uh, a view of end time events here. And he's even, it says in the next verse in 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all of this. Uh, what does it mean? So he told me, and he made known the interpretation of these things. Now, this is still locked in a symbol form for Daniel, but it's become more obvious and more understandable for us. And he said to Daniel, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth, and the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Look at it again. He said, these great beasts are four, four are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I knew, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which is diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful. So Daniel is telling us exactly what Brother Branham's telling us back here in the story of the birds in the wall in India that uh, there, was, uh, there, there were great beasts there, uh, but the Most High shall take the kingdom, and he's going to take his elect with, that, uh, with them into the kingdom, and they shall be there forever. And uh, this, is, this is something that Daniel uh, describes to us, but I want you to notice in the last of it here, he's looking at this fourth beast, and he's saying this one is diverse, it's exceeding dreadful, it's got power, uh, it's got power to slay, and uh, this is something that Daniel is, is looking at very carefully. Now, I wanted to take a note here, uh, just, and, th and this is, a, again, a footnote here of what we want to talk about tonight. But uh, Brother Branham, in the third seal, and this is what I was just noticing here today, he said that uh, the, the Catholic Church back in the Dark Ages and coming out of the Dark Ages, uh, they were charging for novenas, which is charging for prayer, mass cards, you know, praying for people who were in purgatory, as I've explained before. And he said, he said they, they were charging for prayer and they still do it. He said novenas. What was he doing? He said capturing the wealth of the world, not earning the wealth of the world, but capturing the wealth of the world. Uh, the scale weighing out a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures for a barley uh, for a penny. And he said that's what he was doing, capturing the wealth of the world by fear, because that's the reason that somebody would uh, pay for uh, the priest to pray for them is because of fear of their loved ones would be held in purgatory. And uh, Brother Branham said, do you see where the money taken into church comes from? He said, get away from that stuff. He said, to build an organization, million dollar buildings and so forth. He said, do you see what the mother of it is? He said, it's a midnight time. And... He said he's bringing the whole world to him. And I'm reading on page 270, 271. You don't have it on your screen here. He's bringing the wealth of the world into himself, into the church itself, and he's still riding. He sure is. So this system that was, that was capturing the wealth of the world is still riding and still accumulating wealth and going to do it out of fear. 
And like I say, there are lots of uh, lots of ways that Satan will cause widespread fear when it comes to finances, uh, especially in times like ours. You can see that uh, you know on on, a, on an individual level, people are concerned about their jobs. They're concerned about you know will will we have enough money for college, and you know will we be able to buy a home? Uh, lots of different uh, questions about the future. But let me also say this, that on a bigger scale, uh, this really gets interesting and it really actually gets scary uh, when, you, when you think about this on a bigger scale. And let me just come to a couple of quotations I've got for you. Time-tested faith is the next quote. Brother Bram said, we are the Western people. Now the day has went through the Gentile age. We would see enough light to walk and believe Jesus, build our churches and so forth. He said, that's a good thing. But in the evening, it shall be light and the fog is cleared away. The same Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost, that's been down through the Lutheran age and other ages, is now beginning to shine on this Gentile people in the last day with Jesus, who is the light working in his church as the vine among the branches, producing and performing the very same things he did when he was there. That was the last sign of the end of the Jew. And I believe we got Sputnik's handwriting on the wall, men's hearts failing for fear, perplexity of times, distress between nations, one extra drink of vodka, and we could all be ashes before the morning, which he's talking about nuclear holocaust. So he's just letting us know that uh, this is this is a last sign. This these these uh, are all indicators. They're sure signs, surefire signs that we are coming down to the end of it. And finances have a big part to do in that. And there's certainly uh, the the scripture that comes to mind is Luke chapter 21, uh, where Jesus said that uh, you know be signs in the sun and in the moon and so forth on the earth distress of nations with perplexity not having answers not having clarity not having any leadership not having any place to turn you have no place to rest uh, at the end of the day and find out what's true and what should I be listening to uh, this this virus has proved it. Uh, I always said that 9-11 proved how quickly the world can change and the virus has proved how quickly we can lose our way. Uh, the Bible tells us, and this is Jesus in his day, 2,000 years ago, looking at our day and telling us that men's heart will fail for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So in the midst of that trouble, and this is going to be great enough trouble that it will cause people's hearts to fail for fear, there will be a great thing take place in that day. And he says, when all of that happens, you lift up your head, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. That's exactly what's going to be taking place. So I just wanted to remind you of that scripture here. Now, uh, I, I, and I want to just take it one little step farther, if you'll just keep bear with me here. Uh, this was an article that was in the Atlantic magazine, and I just wanted to quote a little portion of it uh, for you tonight here. It's kind of a, a vicious circle here because it says that economic health cannot be restored in our time, our time today, until people feel safe going about their daily business. But health risk and economic risk must be considered together. And in calculating the risks of reopening the economy, we must understand the true costs of remaining closed. At some point, they will become more than the country can bear. 
So this article was actually titled about the worst, worst case. The worst case scenario is is bad. But the worst, worst case scenario is that the, the places where uh, the resources are found, like the big banks and the, you know, the resources of the nations, where they can write a check for $2 trillion to give everybody $1,200 in, in the country, those kinds of things. When, when those countries have not learned from their past mistakes and they do not have the resources really to share and those debts become due, then we have the worst, worst case. So we have a government that's trying to promise you something and the government cannot fulfill their promises. And so you have a virus that keeps everybody in and an economy that cannot sustain itself because everybody's in. But if everybody comes out, they get more sicker and the economy hurts even more. So it's what's called a vicious circle. Now, this is an article that was published this week. And it said that the financial sector isn't like other sectors. If it fails, fundamental aspects of modern life could fail with it. We could lose the ability to get loans, to buy a house or a car, to pay off for college and so forth. So, for instance, if you think the food sector, if the food sector failed, uh, we could, in, in essence, probably buy enough food from other nations. It might cost more, but we could probably buy other food from other sources in the world. It would make things rough, but we could probably do it. But when the economy fails, we have, we have, in a sense, we have either nothing to buy with or uh, things become so inflated that you can have all the money in you, that you want, but the money would be worth, worth nothing. It would be worthless. So the value of the currencies would fail. And that's why the financial sector is not like other sectors. It touches everything, whether it's the price of oil, the price of grain, uh, whether it's, you know, the, the money you owe on a house or a car or whatever else. Everything operates by and within economies. And when this is affected, then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously got, got consequences. And... Uh, you know, there, there comes a point where, uh, you know, some er, nations have got to make decisions here and, uh, you know, they've got to figure out, okay, do we close our borders? Do we keep our borders open? Do we, you know, reopen our economies and so forth? Uh, the nations today depend on international, uh, efforts in their economy. Uh, this was one more article that, uh, I was sent today and I'm thankful for it. It was one, uh, that the IMF, the International Monetary Fund said, Global economic collapse caused by the coronavirus will be worse than feared. Now, I don't mean to ruin everybody's day, all right? You probably had your day ruined when you thought we may have to wear masks in church. I'm hoping we don't. Uh, but I'm just saying to you that, the, you know, when you look at this outlook, and I'm saying this for a particular reason, all right? I want you to hang on for a sec. I'm saying all of this for a reason, that uh, the IMF and the World Bank, which are basically synonymous, and they're both tools of the United Nations, they both function as a as an arm of the United Nations. Uh, they're interested in making sure that uh, poorer countries have a share of the wealth of wealthier countries, and they're very interested in making money spread around horizontally, you know, between countries. 
And they're saying that, uh, you know, the only way that this thing is working today is that wealthy nations have injected lots of money into their economies and uh, the poorer economies are really hurting because of that. And so they're looking for more money. So now you have people within the country looking for money. You have poor nations looking for uh, money and you have the, the, the larger nations themselves who are borrowing money to make all of this happen. I don't, I don't think you need to be a rocket science to figure out this is not sustainable. This is something that we have to think about. So I've said this many, many times before. You probably are, don't want me to say it again. Let me say it one more time, though, if you don't mind. It's important for you as an individual to have your house in order as best you can, as best you possibly can. And if you're going to live on either side of the spectrum, live on the conservative side, pay off whatever debt you can, and uh, just get yourself in a, in a more secure spot. But I have something better to say than that. All right, now here we go. Uh, I, I want to I uh, reiterate a promise here to you and not just the doom and gloom here, that we as the people of God, we have a heritage that's promised by God. It's reserved for us. It is something that God has decreed to give to us, uh, and it is a part of who you are, not what you do. All right. It is our inheritance. It is our heritage that is, is promised to us by God. The first definition, it says that it's something that comes or belongs to one by reason of birth, inherited, lot, or portion. So just like Israel, Exodus chapter 6, I will bring you in unto the land concerning by which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for your good conduct? No. I'll give it to you because of your good works? No. I'll give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. It is mine to give. And it is yours to receive if you want to so apprehend it by faith. And this is exactly what God uh, promised to the children of Israel. So you have to understand that we as the people of God, we as the bride of Christ, we have an inheritance. We have, we have a heritage that is lined up for us and arranged for us by God. And that's what I'm depending on, not my financial smarts. I'm not depending on the American government or any other government to stabilize the situation and to bring consistency and security into our lives. I am not. I, I, I listened to Brother Branham, uh, and he was talking about a woman who was in the prayer line, and he said, you know, he's just kind of talking to her. And he says, you know, ma'am, I don't really know why you're here. He says it could be a medical reason. It could be a financial reason. And he said, you know, if you're here for a financial reason and I have the money to give you, I would give it to you. In other words, I, I believe that God's going to take care of me. I want to do. I want to be a good steward. I want to do, do the right things with my with my finances. But you know what? I, I have no fear that I'm going to do without because I believe in Jehovah Jireh, and and this is what He actually says to the woman here. But I want you to know this: that when you think about the world that we're living in now, think about where we're moving into. If this continues, all right. If this whole scenario continues you can see how it would slide into tribulation. You can see how a financial collapse and then a spiritual involvement of an antichrist system that had the money to be able to bail out the United States and to have the control of the nations, you can see how this could easily slide into tribulation. God has to have a remedy for that for the people of God. Just like he looked at the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt, he saw beyond that to the solution to the problem they could not see. 
And in the same way, God looks at our situation today. He's also looking beyond that into the future in a world we cannot see and knows that we are destined to make it there. We have an inheritance, our place at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, that the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So the Lord knows them that are his. He's got them predestinated already. They're there. They came from, as the quote below says, they came from the three lineages that were in the earth post-flood. They were the sons of Noah, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and all mankind sprung from those three tribes, and they're the ones that are in the earth today. And God could see those three lineages after the flood, even before the flood occurred, because God knows the future from uh, the past. And by the same token, God also knows what's beyond all of this for us, because he sees the wedding supper and the millennium and the new heavens and new earth, even though we are not there. We know he sees them, and uh, he has an inheritance for the people of God. And I'm here tonight to remind you of that inheritance that God has uh, in store for us. Brother Branham said in 1952, he said, he's talking about that scripture back in the days of Jeremiah. He said, you believe in predestination or foreordination? He said, it's altogether by grace. It's not by desire. It's by grace. It's not by conduct. It's by grace. It's not by church attendance. It's by grace. It's not by, by the, uh, you know, according to your uh, performance or mission work it has nothing to do with that. It's by grace. And God called Abraham out of that whole world of people. Why? Because Abraham was better? No, sir. It's grace. God's chosen election and call. You are what you are because the grace of God has made you what you are. Amen. And if I had somebody to amen, I'd amen them right now because that's exactly the truth. God's chosen election and call. That's exactly what it is. Now, the rapture message here, uh, I, I've mentioned this quotation many times before. Uh, Brother Ram is referring specifically to the catching of the way of the bride. And uh, Brother Branham said, this is only for the bride. He said, the rest of the dead live not for a thousand years. This great rapture. If there's not a rapture, friends, where are we at? What age are we living in? What are we going to do? What, are, what promise do we have? There is going to be a rapture. That's a definite positive statement. The Bible says there will be, according to 1 Corinthians 15, I added that in, and it'll be only for the elect, the elect lady, the bride in this day that's pulled out, that's the church. The very word, church, means called out. As Moses called a nation out of a nation, the Holy Spirit is calling a bride out of a church, church out of a church, members from every denomination making up a bride tree. Hang on to that. We're going to look at another tree in just a moment here. A bride coming out. The bride is the one. You notice how exclusive he's being. He's locking in here. He's not giving you any variation in this whole definition of who this is for. He's giving us an absolute description of who this rapture is for. The bride is the one that's going to be in the rapture. That alone, nothing but the bride. The elected ones, foreknown by God from the beginning, the Father's spiritual genes. That's who it's for. The father's spiritual genes. Now, uh, my goodness, there's just, there's just so many different, uh, so many different parts of this here, but let me just, let me just, uh, reiterate, uh, Romans chapter 11 here. 
Predestination is the thing, as I said on last Sunday, was very important to God. It is it is central to our belief. It is as, as important as all the major doctrines uh, that we Gentiles believe. Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, he says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. He said, Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away in godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Now you may say, okay, that's an Old Testament promise here. But in 28, he says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And predestination is so strong, that Israel, who had the promise of a Savior, and then saw the Savior, crucified him, turned away from the gospel of grace and justification, is still included in this whole program by election. And election and predestination are the same thing. So it's powerful enough to actually include a whole nation who was promised a Savior, saw the Savior, crucified him, turned their back on the message of grace in Acts 13, and then Paul reassures us that even all of that does not exclude them because they are truly elected. And they're enemies for our sakes, but they are elected for the Father's sake. They're beloved. I, I mean, that's that's almost mind-blowing. That's almost, that's almost too great to believe. So I, I need you to think a little bit about what Brother Brandon said, that uh, we are the Father's spiritual gene, okay? And that's who the elect that's who the, the rapture is for. Now, I, I'd like to take more time on this, and I'm not going to have uh, time here tonight to do this. But there's a timeline of discovery of our whole uh, genetic makeup. Okay, and there's a lot of great discussion about this whole idea and the whole uh, concept of, uh, you know, our, our genome and, and everything that makes us who we are. Now, this is important to God naturally because God bred my parents together to come up with me. And and then also, uh, you know, their parents were also uh, fearfully and wonderfully made so that they could have the children they did, that they could have the grandchildren they did, that they could have the great-grandchildren, which would be my sons, and then my sons have their children. I mean, this is quite a process when you think about it. And it's always been a question through history in, in terms of, uh, you know, how, how, uh, heredity worked and, and how that, uh, characteristics were handed down from one generation to another one. And, uh, back in the day, there were people like Mendel who bred flowers together and they saw patterns and they saw that there were actually dominant, uh, genes or dominant qualities in, in some breeding. And there was recessive qualities in others. And, and, uh, you know, they, kind of uh, labored with that a little bit because they never had the testing equipment uh, that we have now. And then you come all the way down to modern genetics and the study of heredity now. It's quite, quite different than it was in Mendel's day back in the 1700s there. But uh, one of the things that happened was they eventually got a photograph of what was inside of a cell. And they saw this thing called DNA. And then it took uh, Watson and Crick in there and Wilkins also to... Uh, actually uh, build a model. They built a structure of a, a DNA molecule 
and they won a Nobel uh, Prize for that in physiology and medicine, and uh, they became very famous for that. Then uh, once they figured out, okay, we've isolated one gene and one strand of DNA, uh, there must be a whole lot that make up the human body, and there certainly are, even though there's, for instance, there's more uh, gene or more DNA uh, elements when it comes to making a sheep than there is for a human being. Nonetheless, uh, there were scientists that set out to map the whole uh, gene structure of a human being. And uh, Dr. Francis Collins, who was the director of the Human Genome uh, Research Institute back then, he was also the director of the National Institute of Health. He was a good Virginian, by the way, and he was also a very devout Christian. I don't know what church he was a part of, but he made the statement uh, back in 2000. He said, we have caught the first glimpse of our instruction book, previously known only to God. And they realized when they actually saw the, the gene map of a human being, they actually saw uh, that this was uh, all the instructions that are included in a man to make a man, to make an offspring. And so uh, it, it was just an incredible uh, 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 discovery for them. And they said that it would change uh, medicine. It would change lots of things once we actually figured out, uh, you know, how the, how the genes actually work and how they're coded and how they actually uh, you know, build proteins and all the other parts that go into building a human body. Now, I'm saying this for a reason now. So when when the, the Genome Project was complete, actually it was not, not totally complete, but they made the announcement prior to completion in the year 2000. President Bill Clinton said this, today we are learning the language in which God created life. Stop. That's really a very, very astounding and a very true statement that now they had understood how that God actually constructed a human being. And then, then you got to look backwards and you got to say, wow, God, God made my parents and God made my grandparents and all the way back. And God allowed all of these, this chain of succession to go all the way back to the three sons of Noah and all the way back to Adam. And then uh, you start to think about Brother Brandon makes this statement. Keep it in mind. Brother Brandon makes a statement about, he says, you're the spiritual gene of your father. So God had a natural gene family tree going in the earth, and he had a spiritual family going in the earth as well, a spiritual genetic uh, tree going. My goodness, this is just uh, unbelievable how, how great a thing this was uh, when you start to think about it. But uh, Bill Clinton said, I was going to say Brother Bill, he said, we are gaining ever more awe for the complexity, the beauty, the wonder of God's most divine and sacred gift. With this profound new knowledge, humankind is on the verge of gaining immense new power to heal. Genome science will have a real impact on all of our lives, even more in the lives of our children. And it will revolutionize the diagnosis, prevention, treatment of, of most, if not all, human diseases. Matter of fact, some of this technology is so advanced and it's so accurate that they have to put laws in place to prevent the cloning of physical entities like human beings. And uh, we could have more to say about that maybe a little bit later. But now, uh, even with uh, a good high school laboratory in uh, uh, the chemistry class, uh, CRISPR technology, which is an abbreviation for a process, they can actually uh, go in and, and deal with the DNA and remove a, 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 a faulty uh, set of uh, genes in there, and they can uh, actually splice in a healthy 
uh, healthy genetic uh, clip, if you like, and have it multiply within the human body. And all of a sudden we have good genes replacing bad genes. Uh, it's called CRISPR technology, and it's it's not uh, it's not overly complex, not overly difficult. It's being done all the time, and uh, it's just amazing where uh, human uh, knowledge now has taken so many scientists and researchers here. And this is where tailorized medicine is all coming from, uh, and uh, you know personalized treatments and chemotherapy now for cancer. Very often it's tailored for a specific individual and the kind of cancer that he has. It's just amazing the advances that they've made. But now remember, God allowed this to be discovered. They're only figuring out what God actually did 6,000 years ago in the days of creation, 6,000 years ago in the time of pre, you know, pre uh, the pre-earth season where God created. And when he formed Adam, he set something in motion there, but you got to remember that there's a spiritual family as well. And they are the spiritual gene of their heavenly father. So that's why God was interested in natural genealogy as we find in first Chronicles chapter nine. And also spiritual genealogy as well. In John chapter 8, they, the Pharisees, answered and said unto Jesus, Abraham is our father. Well, they could prove that naturally, and Jesus didn't deny it. He said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Physically, they could trace a lineage back, but spiritually, they could not. And that was the difference. And so this is this is uh, becomes a really interesting uh, study now because we have something, listen, we, I, I don't have much time left, but I just want to say this, that God had to have a remedy for the falling apart of the world. And the remedy is the, the, the rapture or the catching away of his people out of this world, not to reform it. You're, we're not called to reform this world or create a Christian government or something. That's not at all what we're called to do. God has a remedy. And the remedy is a translation of your body. The question is, all right, who's that for? And the answer is the father's spiritual gene. And that's where this whole idea of predestination comes in. And that's where the whole assurance is that that's who God's dealing with. He says in Amos chapter three, very important chapter here. He says, hear this word. The Lord has spoken against you, children of Israel, against the whole family and that are brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. And therefore, will I punish you for your iniquities? And this is God's judgment cry here. But then it comes all the way down through the this portion of the chapter. And this is where he says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So even though Israel had rebelled and they had rejected the word of the Lord, uh, the prophets were going to bring a message of redemption and restoration. And all of this would come uh, back around again when Christ stood on the earth. So predestination and, and election for ordination, all of this is really, it's an anchor for you because it, it ties you back into the eternal. And that's what's, that's what's glorious. It links you to the Lamb's book of life. It, it makes, it makes the assurance, it makes a connection between you and an eternal realm and an eternal God and God's remedy for this world falling apart. And it is God's remedy for this is to pull you from this dimension into that dimension that we're going to. And he's going to do that for the elect. Those he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the part that happens in this life. By obeying his word, we become more Christ-like. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Amen. Them he called, he also justified. Amen. And those he justified, them he has also glorified. And we'll say amen when we cross over onto the other side. So uh, when it comes to the issue of salvation, here's Brother Brandon, what does it take to make a Christian life? He says, you don't have to try to impersonate anything. Now let me stop and say this. I don't have to try to impersonate my brothers. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that, but I certainly don't have to do that so people will think I'm a coffee. You know what? I just got to be me. And when I go back and visit in Newfoundland, which is not very often, but when I go back and visit, people will say to me, just, and I'm not trying to do anything, but people will say, you know what? You're just like Frank. You just, my goodness, you're, you're, you look just like him. Or Frank laughed like that, or Frank didn't laugh like that. He had a straight face like that. Um, I mean, it, it's a, I don't have to try to do that. I don't have to impersonate anybody. I just got to be me. And here's Brother Branham saying the same thing. In order to be a Christian, you don't have to impersonate anything or anyone. You don't have to impersonate the bride. You don't have to impersonate Brother Branham. You don't have to impersonate Jesus. It's a new heart. It's a new dwelling place. It's a new spirit. Everything is new. When the devil walks back, he finds God took his bulldozer and turned the whole ground upside down, made a big, beautiful home and moved in himself. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit dumps you upside down, sweeps the devil stuff out, creates a new heart and a new life. My goodness, that's a great way to say it. Let me read that again. When the devil comes back, he finds God took his bulldozer, turned the whole ground upside down, made a big, beautiful home and moved in himself. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit dumps you upside down, sweeps the devil's stuff out of there, creates a new heart and a new life. Not only that, but he moves in to see that everything goes all right. Glory to God. He has the caretakers, the angels that prunes the trees. So you come to church on a Wednesday night, you come to church on a Sunday, and here's the Holy Spirit there with his angels pruning the trees. He's just clipping away things. Because remember, pruning is not always a bad thing. Pruning clears out the dead stuff. It clears out the things that are broken. But also pruning is a result of growth. Uh, the pruning causes more growth where there is growth. And so pruning is not a bad thing. It is actually a very good thing. And so look at this promise. I mean, this is really great. It, it's, it's not you trying to impersonate how to be a Christian or how to have a good church. That's not it at all. Everything, every, listen, everything is new. It's, it's the Holy Spirit moving into his place, into his house, into his tabernacle. And he said he turns the whole thing upside down, makes a beautiful new home. He moves in himself and he moves in to see that everything goes all right. So you've got an overseer, you've got a controller in life, and you have a counselor and a guide and a leader and a, uh, an advocate who is there to help you uh, and make sure everything goes all right. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, folks, for sure. Brother Branham said, God, by his predestination, has brought this seed to life and is expressing itself. God, by his predestination, has brought this seed to life in your time and is expressing itself. And now on top of all of that, it has overcome. On top of all of that, it has overcome. It doesn't express itself down here in the bog or the swamps, what he's referring to, where he talks about the pond lily which lives in a, a muddy, soft-bottom pond 
And he said, but it has to get up to express itself. Neither did you express Christ when you were in sin and in adultery and everything that you lived in. You didn't express nothing, but there was a seed there. And it got a chance to press itself into life. There was a quickening experience. And now you're in the presence of Jesus Christ with the sunlight. So now it's not dark, murky water anymore. Now that lily has all of a sudden found a place and it has found uh, the elements that are needed to bring true expression to the seed that laid in the mud. It's brought out what you really was in the beginning. You saw the light. Glory to God. I'll tell you what, I would say amen if I had a phone. If I had a phone that was free, I would certainly say amen. This is, this is what predestination does. It not only assures that there's a seed of God present there, but it also assures the expression of life that's in that seed by bringing you into the right environment and by causing the right elements there to bring out what's already there. So uh, a virus doesn't bring out uh, you know, eternal life. Uh, there, there's, there's not any kind of persecution that will, you know, make you a Christian. Viruses don't make you a Christian. Financial collapse will never make you a Christian. Let me tell you, financial collapse will prove you are a Christian because you'll still have your faith anchored in Christ and not your bank account. You will have your faith anchored in the word of the Lord instead of in the headlines that are disastrous in the newspaper. It's amazing. You wonder how, how much worse can it get? Well, wait till tomorrow. You'll find out. It's amazing. But none of these circumstances are going to make you a Christian. All of these circumstances are only the muck that you're going to shine out of, that you're going to express Christ out of. And one of the expressions is the expression of faith that is going to be on display by the bride of Christ who looks at the circumstances and says, I'm going through anyway. I'm going to make it. He's already said I would. I'm predestinated by Almighty God, by grace, to be there. And there is nothing absolutely going to stop it. There is nothing going to hold me back. There is nothing in the world that is more powerful than the predestination of God. There is no devil. There is no false angel. There is no teaching. There is no internet. There is no government that is strong enough to hold the bride of Christ back from true expression and from the true change of their body. It's going to happen. And God already knows that's the case. And that's why he rested on the seventh day. That's why we rest in the promises of God. That's why we rest in the word of God is because he has made these promises and he has assured us of the, the principle of election. And therefore, there is nothing at all going to turn that back. Hey, we should be a very content, very happy people. Not happy in a bubbly sense, you know, because we have troubles that are all around us here. And you don't always feel very happy. As a matter of fact, we feel frustrated uh, in lots of different ways. And I get that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that any of us are exempt from that. But I am saying this, that when it comes down to the end of the day, if, if we lost everything, like Job did, hey, we've got an anchor. And the anchor, the anchor is sure. The anchor is designed to hold us. And therefore, we are certainly very grateful for that. And uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm actually very uh, uh, delighted and excited about what lays ahead. All right, last quote. There's only one form of eternal life that comes from God, and he foreordained every creature that would have it. Just as you were the gene in your father, you were a gene in God. One of his attributes to begin with, or you'll never be there. Now, I want you to understand, you were in both. 
You were in two trees, two family trees. One was in your natural father's family tree. And the other one is the family tree of God. And as you were a gene in one, you were a gene in the other. You are actually, you are actually a surviving member of two trees. And I will tell you something. Those, those people are the ones who have eternal life. If you're in two trees at the same time. You know what? Even though I'm born again, and even though I'm a member of the bride, and even though I believe the message, I'm still a son of Frank and Betty. That hasn't changed. I, that, that family tree is still there. Like it or not, that family tree is still there. But because I'm born again, it's been revealed to me that I'm a part of another family tree. So I've got two going at the same time. And he says, you come forth in the bedding ground of your mother. Your father didn't know you. You were in his loins. And when you come forth in the bedding ground of the mother, then you become a human being and are made in the image of your father. Now you can fellowship with him. And the same thing by God. So in other words, you had to come, you had to be a seed of God first. You had to come into a bedding ground and uh, our heavenly father could know us because he's eternal. But we had to become quickened by the new birth. And then we could express ourselves as sons and daughters of God to have and enjoy fellowship with him. And so the process is the same. It's an amazing thing. And the only way you can become born again, the only way is to, is to be from your heavenly father, one of his attributes, all the father has given me will come to me. You are here because your name was placed on the Lamb's book of life before there was a foundation of the world. You're a gene, a spiritual gene out of your heavenly father, a part of God's word. Amen. Glory to God. That is fabulous. That is a fantastic thing for us to know and to understand and to have that burning in your heart that, look, I got situations, you may say, I got situations in my life I don't understand. I have, I have problems or I've got circumstances that are difficult for me. That, and I don't understand everything that's going on. I even have uncertainties about the world we live in. Welcome to the rest of our thinking as well. But I know this, I know this, that as a predestinated son of God, nothing can hold back that gene expression. Nothing can prevent me from joining the bride at the wedding supper. And that on this journey up through that family tree, every promise in the book is mine. So therefore, when you go to God in prayer and you claim your right as a son or daughter of God, a right for healing and a right for blessing and a right for uh, the promise that David made that I've been old, young and now I'm old. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Whatever your need is and whatever your claim is today to Father God, don't go on the basis of your conduct. Don't go on the basis of your own personal self-righteousness. Go to him as a predestinated son of God. Go to him as one who has confidence that you are a child of God. The devil would like to push you back. The devil would like to make you feel inferior. The devil would like you to make you like to make you feel like there isn't a chance for you up the road that you are, 
you are absolutely no different than everybody else in this world out here. And, you know, the, the circumstances are difficult for everybody and you're included. The devil lies about these things continually. I'm here to tell you tonight that no matter what God does, I have a right to go to him as his son and to knock on his door and to claim the promise. And I just pray that the Lord will inspire you to do the same thing, to claim your ground, to claim your territory, that even though the doctor may say things and even though that the world may say things and even though the banker may say things, we are not disrespectful of any of that, but we are sons and daughters of God. And so therefore we are enabled, we are empowered to claim the promises that are ours. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence and we give you these words tonight. And I pray that they would sink deep in the hearts of your children. Lord, may you inspire us. May you empower us. May you motivate us, Lord, I pray to always lean back upon your arms of understanding and to take hold of the word of God and every promise in the book. And Lord, I pray you lead us on to victory. Lord, this, this virus that has darkened the world, just like this cloud that's coming that darkens the world. Lord, we know that above every cloud, there is a sun shining. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just minister strength, Lord, to each believer tonight. Father, may we be encouraged and inspired, Lord, to claim that which is ours, not because we are deserving, but Lord, because we have been chosen from before the world began. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the healing of your people. I pray, Lord God, for the continued good testimonies of your grace and mercy. I ask, O oh God, that you would minister to my family and Lord, every family under the hearing of the word tonight. And Lord, may you just speak to our hearts and speak to us. I pray very specifically and loudly through your word. We always ask, Lord, that you would guide us in your will. And Lord, you would just take us by the hand and lead us. For we live in times, Lord, that require us to know the will of God. And in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would be gracious, merciful to us. Lord, protect our saints, Lord, from the virus that surrounds us. Lord, we pray for Brother Tim Hayden and all the churches that are closed. We pray, Lord, for Brother Ron Spencer. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just be gracious to those who are uh, needing a touch from you tonight, Lord. Father, be their healer, I pray. Lord, bring us back at the appointed time again, and we commit the people to you in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. Amen. And amen. God bless you, saints. It's been good to study the word of the Lord. And uh, I want you to just, if you don't mind, take time daily to pray one for another. Uh, there are, like I said, there are several unspoken requests within the church and, uh, there are people, uh, who are, uh, affected by different sicknesses and so forth. And we just want to hold them up in prayer. Just know that when you pray for the body of Christ, that there's, uh, there are people who are on the, on the, uh, known side of those prayer requests. May the Lord bless you. And we look forward to seeing you on the weekend. God bless. <music>